The scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 18, which teaches us about the ascension, Christ's ascension. Isaiah 11 points to it. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left, from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria. Like as it was to Israel on the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And so far do we read God's word. On the basis of that passage and others, we have the instruction of Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18. Lord's Day 18. How dost thou understand these words? He ascended into heaven. 
that Christ, in sight of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven, and that he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world as he hath promised? Christ is very man and very God. With respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth. But with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. But if his human nature is not present wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Not at all, for since the Godhead is illimitable and omnipresent, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature he assumed, and yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take up to himself us, his members. Thirdly, that he sends us his spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. We hear much about Christ's ascension this week, and that's a good thing. In God's providence, we've been brought to Lord's Day 18 this morning, which deals with the ascension. And that's the Sunday. This happens the Sunday before Ascension Day, when we'll hear more about the ascension. That's a good thing. To hear lots about the ascension. We and our children know a lot about the cross and its benefits. We hear about the resurrection certainly more often than the ascension. Thus, it's good for us to consider Christ's ascension in great detail and really know those great benefits of that ascension. That helps us praise our great God. We hear about the ascension and what our ascended Lord bestows upon us that leads us to praise and glorify our God. So it's good for us to hear about the ascension. Now the ascension is the important second step in Jesus' state of exaltation. The Catechism explains Christ's state of humiliation in Lord's Days 14 through 16. Jesus' state of humiliation is the state in which he suffered while on this earth in order to earn salvation for us. So Jesus suffered and he died. That was his state of humiliation. And he went through that to pay for our sins and earn salvation for us. Now, the Catechism is explaining the state of exaltation. The state of exaltation is the state in which he's now exalted and glorified. And he bestows upon us all those blessings that he 
earned for us by His suffering. Last week we started to consider the state of exaltation when we looked at the resurrection in connection with Lord's Day 17. As the Lord who arose from the grave, He now can bestow upon us those blessings He earned for us at the cross. And now Lord's Day 18 talks about the ascension, the second step in the state of exaltation. As the ascended Lord, He now actually does bestow upon us those blessings He earned for us at the cross. We'll hear about those blessings this morning. We'll learn the wonderful truth about the ascension using Isaiah chapter 11, which points points ahead to Christ's ascension. Let's consider the text under the theme, Christ's ascension into heaven. Christ's ascension into heaven. First, the fact. Second, the blessings. And third, the comfort. Christ's ascension into heaven. First, the fact. Isaiah 11 points ahead to Christ's ascension into heaven in his human nature. Now, notice or know that Christ has two natures united in one person. Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. He has two natures. Question and answer 47 speaks of them. It says Christ is very man and very God. With respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth, but with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. A nature is what makes you who you are. One who has a human nature has a body, soul, mind. One who has a divine nature is one who is very God. He has the characteristics of God. He is everywhere present, for instance. Christ has a human nature. So, he came here and took on himself a body, soul, mind, heart. He also has a divine nature. That's his Godhead, that answer 47 speaks of. He has all the characteristics of God. He's everywhere present. Christ has two natures, united in one person. A person is one who can say, I. And Christ's person is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. So he is one person with two natures, human and divine. Now Isaiah 11 points to Christ ascending into heaven in his human nature. We'll start with verses 1 through 5 to see that. Verses 1 through 5, and maybe it would help to keep your Bible open for this section as we look at Isaiah 11 and to see this prophecy. Isaiah 11. Verse 1 of Isaiah 11 is a prophecy of Christ's coming. 
We read in verse 1, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go out of his shall grow out of his roots. Now, Paul speaks of Christ in Romans 15, verse 12, as a rod from Jesse. So he takes this idea in, uh, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, and says that's Christ, a rod from Jesse. That shows Isaiah is certainly talking about Christ here. Isaiah uses the figure of a tree to say that, to say that Christ will come from Jesse, which is King David's father. The Son of God will come in the flesh. That's the Christ. Verse 2 says about the Christ, says the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, the Spirit did not come to rest upon Jesus according to his divine nature. The Spirit came to rest upon him according to his human nature. He needed to be, he needed to be strengthened in his human nature by the Holy Spirit. Verses 3 through 5 then speak of Christ's judgment and rule over men, which specifically points to his work as the ascended Lord. We'll look at verse 4. It says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. That smiting of the earth with the rod of his mouth and that slaying of the wicked, it's not really pointing to what he did on this earth, but it's pointing to head to what he does as the ascended Lord. We know that he now rules with his rod over the nations. Notice that verses 3 through 5 then are pointing to Christ's work as the one who has ascended in his human nature. Verses 1 and 2 are speaking of Christ coming, Son of God coming in the flesh. Verses 3 through 5 then are pointing to his, through the ascended Lord and His rule. These verses imply that Christ would come and would ascend in His human nature and rule over all. That's pointing to His ascension. Isaiah 11, verse 10 now, points even more clearly to his ascension in his human nature. We read in verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, that means banner, shall stand for a banner of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. That phrase, in that day, at the beginning of verse 10 that you read there, in that day refers to the, really the entire New Testament age from Christ's first coming all the way to his second coming and the realization of his kingdom. That means realization of the fullness of his kingdom. From Isaiah's prophetic perspective, living in the Old Testament, he could not see the long period of time from Christ's first coming to his second coming. So he, as well as other prophets, would often speak of the New Testament age as the day of the Lord. 
That day refers to the entire New Testament age. It's the time when the Gentiles will be gathered, as verse 10 says, they'll be gathered under the ensign or banner of Jesus Christ. That didn't happen in the Old Testament. That's referring to the whole New Testament time period. Now, according to Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, in that day, so in that New Testament time period, his rest... Look at the last phrase. His rest shall be glorious. That word rest there literally means resting place. So Christ's resting place shall be glorious. What's that referring to? Well, heaven. Heaven is his resting place that is glorious. Heaven is the place of glory where Christ's beauty shines forth in its, in its, in its fullness. Where his Holiness and grace and mercy and love are shining forth. It's glorious. Heaven is where Christ will rest in a certain sense as one who has accomplished salvation for his people, has earned it for them. So his resting place there in verse 10, that resting place in that day, it's referring to Christ being in heaven in his human nature as the ascended Lord. pointing to his ascension to come. Now, that's the prophecy. And the New Testament shows that that prophecy has come to pass. That prophecy in Isaiah has happened. Jesus did ascend. He did go up to heaven. We have heard in past Lord's Days, recent ones, about how he suffered and he died and he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And we heard that on the third day he rose again from the grave. And for the following 40 days he he was on this earth in his glorious body, and he would appear and disappear to the with the disciples at different points. And 40, 40 days after he arose from the grave, Jesus appeared to his disciples and walked with them from Jerusalem to Mount Olivet. And Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 tells us what happened next. Acts 1 verse 9 says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Acts 1 verse 9, kids, tells us that a cloud came down. A cloud came down and enveloped Christ and took him up to heaven right before the eyes of the disciples. So that those who, they who saw him there in his body, there in his human nature, he, they didn't see him anymore. He was gone. Verse 11 says, Two angels appeared and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So they saw him go up into heaven in his human nature. He ascended, he went up in his body. And based on God's word, the Catechism describes the ascension in Lord's Day 18. It says in answer 46, Christ in the sight of his disciples was taken up from earth into heaven, and that he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. And question and answer 47 adds, with respect to his human nature, he is no more on earth. 
The Lord ascended, and he now even rules all things, just as Isaiah 11 points to. For we read in Matthew 28, verse 18, that all power is given unto him in heaven and on earth. He rules. Jesus has gone to heaven, then in his body. That's where he is. Kids know that. Jesus is there in heaven, in his body, in his human nature. But remember that he is still here in a sense. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Question and answer 47 says, He is at no time absent from us. So he ascended in his human nature, but he's still here. He's still here in his divine nature. Look at the two characteristics that question and answer 48 gives of his divine nature. It says that he, his divine nature is illimitable. Illimitable means that he cannot be contained. And it says he is omnipresent, meaning that in his divine nature, he is everywhere present. He's here and he's in heaven. He's everywhere present. He's still with us then in his divine nature. But also this, he is also with us by his spirit. He is with us in a gracious way. By his spirit. Question and answer 47 says that. He's with us by his grace and spirit. And we know that's true. Think that we know Christ. We believe in him. We seek to worship him this morning. Why? Because he's with us by his Holy Spirit. That's truly wonderful. He he lives within us by his spirit. Now we have heard about the two natures human and divine, but we must, be, we must be careful not to separate the two natures. Jesus ascended into heaven according to his human nature, and his divine nature is everywhere present. Those two natures may not be separated. Question and answer 48 says that the divine nature is beyond the limits of the human nature that he assumed, and yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it. So the, the divine nature, the divine nature is beyond the limits of or extends outside of the human nature, yet it's still joined to that human nature. So the divine nature was united to Jesus' human nature while he was on this earth. And the divine nature is united to the human nature as as he stands in heaven. But the divine nature also extends beyond the limits of that human nature. So his divine nature is connected to his human nature in heaven. It's in that human nature as he stands there in heaven, yet... He is also everywhere present in his divine nature.
after Lord's Day 18 speaks of the fact of the ascension and explains that Christ has two natures, human and divine, that he ascended in his human nature. After the Catechism explains that, question and answer 49 asks, of what, is, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? And the answer then gives three advantages or three blessings of the ascension. That's what we look at now. Each of those blessings. The answer 49 begins with this blessing. Answer 49 says, He is our advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. He's our advocate. 1 John 2 verse 1 uses those words. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate in 1 John 2, verse 1, it means literally this, one who comes beside his friend and comforts and helps him. One who comes beside his friend and comforts and helps him. The Greeks often used that word advocate for a lawyer who came beside his friend in the courtroom and defended him. An advocate stood at the side of his friend in the courtroom and pleaded with the judge to declare his friend righteous, to declare his friend innocent of wrongdoing. And in the court system, not just anyone had the right to represent someone in the courtroom, not just anyone had the right to come with their friend there in a, in a court case, you had to be a licensed lawyer. You have to have done your work to be a licensed lawyer so that you have the right to represent your friend. Now, 1 John 2, verse 1 in the Catechism says, We have an advocate before God the Father. We have an advocate before God the Judge. God is Judge of all. He's the holy Judge who sees and knows all of our sinful deeds, all of our our acts of disobedience against His law. Jesus, though, has the right to stand before that great judge and plead for us. He has the right to do that as one who has become licensed. He became licensed to stand before God, the holy judge, by His work at the cross, where He paid for all the sins of His people. That he is our advocate before the Father now means that he comes right before the Holy God's face. And he says, do not declare them, my child, to be guilty. Declare them to be righteous based on what I've done. I made the sacrifice at the cross. Declare them to be righteous based on that work. Declare that to their conscience. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Stop and think for a moment this morning how wonderful that is. And to see how wonderful it is, remember who God is and that we sin against Him. God is not like an earthly judge who may, maybe just heard about our sin. No, the holy God saw it. He sees it all. The holy God saw it and He hates sin. God's righteousness cannot tolerate even the smallest sin. 
So we deserve to have that almighty God's wrath come upon us. This isn't just the wrath of a judge on earth. This is the wrath of the almighty God who made heaven and earth. Who can destroy forever. But we have an advocate with the Father. The ascended Jesus Christ. He stands before the judge and he says, Do not destroy them. Declare them to be righteous. Based on what I've done at the cross. Based on my sacrifice. I died for them. And God certainly hears the prayers of His Son. How wonderful that is to know as those who know our sin and what we deserve for them, that we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross and points to that sacrifice daily in the presence of the Father. What a blessing. Second, regarding the, the blessings of Jesus' ascension, his ascension, assure, his ascension into heaven assures us that we will ascend into glory in our bodies too. Question and answer 49 says, Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he as the head will also take up to himself us, his members. Jesus' ascension is a pledge We learned last week in Lord's Day 17, a pledge is a guarantee. Christ's bodily ascension into heaven is a pledge or guarantee that we will also ascend. We will be taken up to be with Him in our bodies. Why is Christ's ascension a guarantee that we will also ascend one day? Christ's ascension is a guarantee that we will ascend one day because we are connected with Jesus Christ. Christ has made us His own. He he bought us with His precious blood. He's united us to Himself. One way to describe that Unification we have with Christ is that He is the head and we are members, as the Catechism says. He is the head and we are members or parts of His body. Each of us is part of His body. Ephesians 5 verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. So since Christ our head ascended... We who are connected with Him, we will also ascend. The head is connected to the body. The the head goes somewhere, the body follows. We know that. Kids, you know that. Where your head goes, your body goes. Well, Christ ascended into heaven in our flesh, human flesh. So we will ascend into glory in our flesh at Christ's return. Since Christ is in glory already... There is nothing that can prevent us from being brought up to be with Him forever in glory. Nothing can prevent it. Our sins cannot prevent it, for we are united with Christ who is righteous. 
So God sees us as perfectly righteous in Him. Neither the devil nor the world can keep us from entering. Nothing can. No persecution, even persecution that would last for the next 40 years of our life, could keep us from ascending up to glory. Christ went on before us as the head. The body will follow. And that's wonderful. Take a moment again. Think about what that means, that we will really ascend to go live with Him in body and soul in the new heavens and new earth forever. Think about it in light of Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now I'll skip to verse 8 now. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's amazing. Kids, you understand that picture. There's predators, animals that kill other animals, big animals like lions. Those predators, they will not kill. They will lie down with those animals that they normally would eat. Little children that normally cannot play on the mouth of a cobra will be able to do that. What verses 6 through 9 represent is the complete disappearance of the curse. Because of man's sin in Adam, the entire creation was made subject to corruption and to to hatred, and that's why animals attack each other and devour each other. There's fighting also between men and beasts and between men and other men, but verses 6 through 9 point to the complete end of all that. There will be no more hatred, no more devouring. There will only be peace. Peace between animals and man. Peace between predators, former predators and other animals. Peace. And peace between men that live there in that new creation. Verse 9 adds that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And that word knowledge points to an experiential knowledge of God. It points to that knowledge where one knows God as his friend. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That's the new earth, the new creation. This is pointing to Christ's kingdom in its full perfection, which he will bring at his second coming. What we read about in verses 6 through 9 will not happen on this present earth. We're not going to see a wolf lying with a lamb. Hatred and killing will not end on this present earth. But these verses are pointing to the new creation, the new heavens and new earth where there will be no hatred, there will be perfect peace as we dwell with the Prince of Peace and we dwell with one another, God's children, in perfect peace forever. What a wonderful picture that is when you read it and think upon that. And we can hardly imagine it because there's... There's so much devouring. There's so much warfare. There's so much hatred, hateful words spoken, hateful deeds done. Nations roaring against other nations. There's there's so much of that. That's what we see on this earth. 
But in glory there will be perfect peace and joy as we live with one another. Perfect peace forever and with Christ. And we will ascend. We will really live in that place. Can't even imagine how wonderful it be. We've never known a place like that. We'll live there. And sure, because Christ our head has ascended and we as the body will follow. Where the head goes, the body goes. That's where we'll go. We'll enjoy that in body and soul. Praise God. A third blessing of the ascension is that the ascended Lord sends us His Spirit. Question and answer 49 says, Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? Thirdly, that He sends us His Spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. Now Isaiah 11 verse 2 speaks of how the Holy Spirit came upon Christ. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus according to his human nature during his life on this earth. And the Holy Spirit that came upon him is the spirit of knowledge, of wisdom, of understanding, it says. And the Spirit is called that because He strengthens one to be wise, to be understanding, to have knowledge. And the Spirit came upon Christ, strengthening Him in wisdom and understanding so that He used what He knew to glorify God. And the Holy Spirit came upon Christ so that He was strengthened in knowledge and loved God, knew God, loved Him. By His work at the cross, Jesus earned this gift of the Spirit for His children. Apart from Jesus' work at the cross, we could not be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We would be guilty sinners before God, and guilty sinners must be left dead in sin. However, based on Christ's payment for our sins, God's people have the right to be given the Holy Spirit. So Jesus earned for His people the Spirit at the cross. Then Jesus ascended, was given that Holy Spirit, and He poured it out upon the church. And He now sends His poured out Spirit to His people from all nations. When Jesus ascended, he poured out his Spirit upon the church so that the Spirit works even more powerfully than what he worked in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit's work was like a trickle of water. But in the New Testament, his work is, like the, is even more powerful, like a raging river as compared to that trickle of water. The Spirit worked in God's people to know Him and to live wisely in the Old Testament. But the Spirit works even more powerfully in God's people now to live wisely, to know Him. Jesus poured out His Spirit at Pentecost 
And he now sends his poured out spirit to his people from all nations. Isaiah 11 verse 10 points to the effect of the poured out spirit's work in the New Testament on the Gentiles. We read in verse 10 of Isaiah 11. It says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The root of Jesse is the Christ. That ensign or banner is, is Christ, it says. He is the ensign or banner of the people. And the Gentiles will seek that banner. They will seek Christ. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit given to them. We are Gentiles. We are Gentiles who Isaiah 11 verse 10 prophesies of. We are Gentiles who have been given the gift of that Spirit by the Ascended Lord. And we now, by the power of the Spirit, seek the things which are above. And that's truly wonderful. Question answer 49 says that by the Spirit we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. To see how wonderful that is, think for a moment of us without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would seek the things of the earth. To seek is to pursue after something with a determination to find it. That would be us without the Spirit. Seeking, pursuing after the things of the earth with a determination to find it. We would pursue after pleasure here, focusing on on fun, even if that means sin. We would pursue after wealth and things, thinking that would bring to us fun, that would bring to us leisure. That's what we pursue after. And to see that you just look at the world around us, that's what they pursue, that's what they're going headlong after. Without the Spirit, we would only seek earthly things, but these earthly things would never satisfy Even those who have lots of wealth, there are many who have died and near to their deathbed, they say that they weren't satisfied ever. A a millionaire wants to become a multimillionaire. One who seeks earthly things never has peace. The ascended Lord has sent to us His Spirit to live in us. And His Spirit empowers us to seek the things which are above. And that makes sense that Christ, by His Spirit, would empower us to seek the things above. It makes sense. Christ, our head, has ascended into heaven in His human nature. And He, the ascended Christ, is never separated from us. Never separated from His blood-bought children. He makes us to partake of that heavenly life already by working in us to seek the things above. What does it exactly mean to seek the things which are above? To seek the things which are above is to seek the gifts from above. Heavenly, spiritual gifts. To seek the gifts from above is to seek that knowledge we spoke of, to seek that wisdom, to seek that understanding. And the Spirit empowers us to seek those things that we would never seek on our own. We don't pursue then after wealth or pleasure, so, so that's our focus. But we pursue after 
knowledge of God, desiring to go closer to him. We pursue after wisdom, desiring that spiritual ability to take what we know and, and serve God. And we desire that, and that's, that's why we're here this morning, to grow in knowledge and to grow in wisdom. That's why we study the Word throughout the week, and we're not just always at the bald diamond. We're not just always doing this, that, or the other thing, fishing or, or whatever it is. No, we seek to spend time in the Word, desiring those gifts from above, desiring to grow in that knowledge, desiring to grow in that understanding and wisdom. Now, you ask, are we perfect in seeking the things above? Absolutely not. We each have a sinful nature. But the ascended Lord has sent us His Spirit, who is working in us a beginning of this new obedience. And that is wonderful. It's truly wonderful. He works in us to seek the things above and does that more and more. In the last place, regarding Christ's ascension this morning, know that it's a comfort to us. This is comforting. Isaiah 11, which points to the ascension, was written to comfort the remnant in Judah. The remnant of God's people in Judah, they faced difficulties. At this particular time, when Isaiah wrote Isaiah 11, they were a nation. Judah was a nation that was facing the threat of the world power Assyria. In Isaiah chapter 10, the chapter before the one we read this morning, Isaiah 10 gives details about Assyria. gives a detailed picture of that world power and the threat that they were to Judah. They were trying to destroy the church. And from an outward perspective, it seemed they would. And that people of Judah could easily fear. On top of that problem with Assyria, the people of Judah had sinned grievously. Isaiah 1-10 through speaks of the many sins of the people of Judah at this time. And there were those that were walking in them. There was also the remnant of God's people, and they knew their sin too. They knew they were guilty. Isaiah wrote Isaiah 11 essentially saying, Do not fear. He writes this to comfort them. In verse 1, he points them to Christ's coming. He says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So he points them to the coming of Jesus Christ to show them that the, the Assyrians will not destroy them. The Assyrians surely won't destroy them as a nation because Christ is to come from Judah. He's certainly coming. You won't be destroyed. And also he's pointing that remnant to Jesus Christ so they see, we have hope. We're sinners, but Christ is coming to save us. He he comforts them with this word in Isaiah 11. And then in verses 6-9, through Isaiah pointed God's people to the glorious kingdom of peace that Christ would bring one day. Christ would ascend into heaven and He would bring this great kingdom, this new creation where there wouldn't be this this hate. There wouldn't be these, these 
one seeking to devour each other in this warfare, but instead there would be peace. Peace you would enjoy with living with the Lord and living with one another in His kingdom forever and ever. He points them to that. What comfort that was for the people. What hope that it gave them. Well, Isaiah 11, along with Lord's Day 18, is also comforting to us. It's comforting to us who know our sins and what we deserve for them. We see Christ, Christ has come. He's paid for our sins. And He's now even the ascended Lord who is our advocate before the Father. Our names are in His lips every day. Saying, Lord, declare them to be righteous. Make them even to know that in their conscience. What a comfort that is. And this word is comforting to us who also face those spiritual enemies that are trying to bring us to seek the things of the earth. Well, we see this morning that we have, we have a, an ascended Lord who's more powerful than all those enemies, and even rules those enemies. And He has given to us His Spirit who protects us, who strengthens us more and more to seek the things which are above. What comfort that is. And this word comforts us who live in a world that's full of hatred and warfare and and trouble. God tells us that since Jesus, our head, has ascended, we, His body, will certainly follow. And we will live in that new heavens and new earth where there is not that warfare, where there are not those hateful deeds done. But perfect peace with Jesus Christ and with one another forever. That's ours. The ascension shows it. What a word of comfort then this morning. Go forward praising the ascended Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we come before Thee amazed at Thy goodness to us and the rich blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful that we have an advocate before Thee and that He now sends to us His Spirit and that we, have a sho- we surely have a home with Thee forever in the new heavens and new earth. Praise be to Thee. May we glorify Thee from our heart today. In gratitude. In Jesus' name, Amen.